Well, hello, my friends. Welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett. So glad that you're joining me today, doing a brand new couple of day series on how do I respond to pressure. You know, there's some stats that have been put together that talk about when we feel the happiest. So what is the happiest time of your day? Now, obviously, this is probably different for different people, but a study on Twitter and Twitter users found a very interesting pattern. You know, humans tend to be happy at breakfast time. Uh, maybe that's why when you travel and you go uh, to a hotel that has a breakfast buffet or whatever, it seems like everybody's happy, right? Uh, they're happy to be up. They had a, hopefully a good night of rest. They get a good meal, ready to start their day. But they've also discovered that we're not so happy at midday. And uh, maybe that's why people are all grumpy when they're going through the line. They get that fast food or they're waiting at a restaurant for lunch. Uh, and it says then we're happy again near bedtime. The study which analyzed 509 million tweets from 2.4 million users in 84 different countries found that moods fluctuate in a fairly predictable pattern. On weekdays, positive tweets kind of peak between 6 a.m. and 9 a.m., and then they decline steadily throughout the day until 3 and 4 is where they're the most negative. In the late afternoon, Positivity begins to rise up again after 4 o'clock, peaking after dinner. And then on the weekends, the pattern is very similar, but morning happiness shifts to later in the day, uh, starting around 9 a.m., when most people are beginning their day on the weekends. The study's authors used a text analysis program that scanned the tweets for words that had positive and negative effects. Well, we're going to be looking at the book of Peter, 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 15, as we look at this subject of responding to pressure, Peter says, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. So he begins here by reminding us of something crucially important. When trials come, and they're going to come, don't be surprised. Expect it, right? He calls them the fiery ordeal. Verse 13 says, But rejoice inasmuch as you are participating in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed with his glory. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of the glory of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer, as a thief or any kind of criminal, or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, don't be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. For it is time for judgment to begin with God's household, and if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it's hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and of the sinner? For then... Those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. What a powerful passage we've read from the pen of Peter. You know, one of the most despicable and one of the most uh, unbelievable manifestations of human flesh that ever disgraced this planet was a guy by the name of Nero Claudius Caesar. 
Uh, He was the guy in charge when Peter is writing this epistle. Nero was born in AD 37, educated at the feet of a philosopher named Seneca, who eventually got so depressed with life, uh, he committed suicide. Nero murdered his way to the imperial throne, and he occupied the throne from AD 54 to AD 68. His life was characterized by debauchery, violence, and as a matter of fact, he even caused his own mother to be killed. He lived a life of extravagance, a very self-centered life. In the summer of AD 64, Rome suffered a terrible fire that burned for six days and seven nights, consuming almost three-quarters of the city. The people accused the emperor Nero of this devastating fire, claiming that he set the fire for his own amusement. Uh, He didn't like the way the city was looking, so he said, I'm going to burn it down and rebuild it. Well, in order to deflect these accusations and to placate the people, Nero placed the blame for the fire on the Christians. The emperor ordered the arrest of a few members of the sect who, under torture, accused others until the entire Christian populace was implicated and became fair game for retribution. As many of these religious sect that could be found were rounded up and they were put to death in the most horrific manner and all for the amusement of the citizens of Rome. The ghastly way in which the victims were put together began to arouse sympathy among many Romans, although most felt like their execution was justified. So it is under this backdrop that we are looking at this passage of Scripture, and we're looking at the subject of how do we respond when we're under immense pressure? Church historian Andrew Miller gives us the following graphic account of the fiery trial that was raging when Peter wrote his letter. Here's what's happening. This was the first legal persecution of Christians. And as you look at our world today, today there are about 65 or 66 countries in which it is illegal to be a Christian, illegal to have a Bible, illegal to propagate the faith. But the first legal persecution of Christians stands out during the time of Peter. It was an inevitably cruel way of torture. It was given under the bloodthirsty orders of Nero, who was the most cruel emperor that ever reigned. So here we have our Savior, Jesus Christ, gentle, peaceful, unoffended individual, and he has these followers, right? But yet they were despised. They were rejected. Now, I want you to know, sometimes no matter how kind and gentle you are, if you are carrying the message of Christ, if you are living out the message of Christ, some people are going to resent you. There's nothing that we can do about that. No matter how patient we may try to be, we may be resented. As a matter of fact, these unoffending followers of the Lord in Peter's day, they were sown and skins of wild beasts. They were put together and sewn together in these skins of wild beasts. They were torn by dogs. Others were wrapped in a kind of a wax with a pitch on the outside of it, and then they were put on fire. Some were put on a stake, and they were so cruel they would take a stake up under their chin and push it up through their chin. So when the fire took place uh, and they would go down, that stake would go right up into their mouth. Unbelievable. 
So these were considered as a part of a game, crucifying and killing and persecuting Christians. As we look at all that is happening, long before those long nights where Nero was having these garden parties and, and martyring Christians, we see God giving us some solid teaching in what he delights in. 1 Peter 4.12, Dear friends, don't be surprised by the fiery trials, that ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange is happening. You see, God gives his most hope in hurtful times. We tend to think of suffering as something that is strange when it occurs. We cannot help but think that something must be wrong if we are suffering. And sometimes this is true, but the bottom line is this, is that oftentimes our suffering is given to us because we are doing right. Peter says, rejoice as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. You see, when we look at suffering, you know, we're told that we are to rejoice, not because of the suffering, but we're to rejoice in the suffering. You see, we don't see things perfectly clear in our times of suffering. I love how Paul reminds us of this in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. He says, right now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know even as I am known. What a great promise this is given to us by the Apostle Paul. He is reminding us, we don't have a full picture right here on this side of heaven. But one day, we will see fully what is happening. One day, we will know in full what has happened. He says, and one day, we're going to even know each other in heaven. So, if we want to have joy through suffering, there are six opportunities that are given to us in this wonderful passage in 1 Peter chapter 4. First of all, we will have joy in suffering because we experience God's presence. Let's look back again at verse number 14. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Do you get what Peter's saying here? When we're insulted because of the name of Christ, persecuted because of the name of Christ, under pressure because of the name of Christ, we are actually blessed. God rests on us. In other words, we get to see a side of God's presence that we didn't see, didn't feel prior to the insults. You see, the Holy Spirit is right there with us. You know, he's our true corner man, I guess you could say. You know, you might not know the name Angelo Dundee, but you've undoubtedly heard of Muhammad Ali, probably the most famous professional boxer of all time. Just the other day, I had to drive up to Alexandria, Virginia, and I saw uh, right next to the place I was going, there was a Roy Rogers. Now, I hadn't eaten at Roy Rogers forever, and I I got there a few minutes before the place opened that I was going to, and I said, I'm going to go in there and grab breakfast at Roy Rogers and I'm sitting down at the table, and this guy comes in, big guy, and I notice he had a Muhammad Ali shirt on. I hadn't seen a Muhammad Ali shirt on for a long time, uh, but it just brought some fond memories. Uh, So most of us know, undoubtedly, about who Muhammad Ali is, right? But for more than two decades, 
Angelo Dundee was Muhammad Ali's corner. Literally, he was Ali's corner man. He's the one who made Muhammad Ali float like a butterfly and sting like a bee. He also trained 15 other world boxing champions. Angelo Dundee described his job as corner man this way. When you're working with a fighter, you're a surgeon, an engineer, and a psychiatrist. As a follower of Christ, we have something even better than a surgeon and a psychology and an engineer in our corner. We have the Holy Spirit. When the pressure is on us, when we feel like our back's against the wall, God rests on us. 2 Corinthians 1 reminds us, For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, we also experience His comfort that is abounding through Christ. In other words, heavy doses of suffering gives heavy doses of comfort. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings that we suffer. You see, there are times when only the very presence of God can help us through a very difficult time. But sometimes God sends his choicest servants to bring us his presence. So don't reject God speaking through another Christian. This is where the church and small groups and Sunday school classes are so profoundly important. We tend to pity the one who suffers. But we are told they are the ones who are blessed. You say, well, now, wait a minute. You just lost your mind on that one. Well, I'm just giving you what God's word says, that we are blessed when we are persecuted for righteousness' sake. You see, when we are persecuted, when the pressure is on us, we see a side of God that we did not see prior to the suffering. Now, if you understand that, it almost makes you jealous when you see somebody being persecuted for righteousness' sake. Well, let's look at what Jesus said about this, because maybe you're scratching your head on that and says, well, I don't know about this. Jesus said, Matthew 5, beginning at verse number 10, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. Then he says, rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So Jesus reminds us there's a blessing that comes if we endure being under pressure for righteousness' sake. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul says, You know, at my first offense, no one stood with me. Everybody forsook me. As Paul is making his first offense of his faith, he says, But in spite of everybody forsaking me, the Lord stood with me. You see, Paul was on trial for his life, and everybody deserted him. But God was there. God was with him. It was in the midst of that suffering that he felt the presence of God so very close to him. So the first lesson that we must understand and we must put our confidence in is that when we're going through pressure, we are actually experiencing God's pressure and God's presence. And number two, when we're going through times of great pressure, we are tapping into God's plan. 
Right, we're in God's presence. Now we're also in his plan. Going back to 1 Peter 4, verse number 15. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or as a thief or any kind of criminal or even as a meddler. Okay, so there's some suffering that we can experience that is because we're doing something we ought not to do. So there's consequences for that. Instead, we ought to be suffering for righteousness' sake. Now, there's a movie called The Lord of the Rings. Uh, I love watching The Lord of the Rings. And the first time I watched it, I'll be honest with you, it was so long, I I fell asleep, okay? Uh, So I had to watch it a couple times to kind of get the whole uh, meaning of The Lord of the Rings. But uh, The Lord of the Rings basically is God's plan amid trials. And so the Fellowship of the Ring is based on J.R.R. Tolkien's fantasy trilogy that dramatizes the quest of these nine travelers, and they are trying to destroy a ring critical of the power of the Dark Lord. So Elijah Wood stars as Frodo, and Frodo's a brave but a very vulnerable hobbit. And he has inherited this deadly ring from his cousin, Bilbo. In his wise counsel, the wizard Gandalf, he discovers the Dark Lord is looking for this ring and now knows its whereabouts, and and he warns Frodo to leave his homeland and to take the ring with him. Well, in time, a fellowship of eight joins him, and they begin a dangerous trek toward the mines of Mora, and and as they're going through, this fellowship is going through, they are having an opening with three passages. So Gandalf obviously is perplexed, and he admits, no memory of this place. The fellowship breaks apart, and they break off from Gandalf. They ruminate over a passage that will lead them out of that fix. Meanwhile, uh, Frodo reflects on the dangers that he's passed through and will yet face, and he's tense with anxiety, and he says to Gandalf, I wish the ring had never come to me. I wish none of this had happened. So do all who live at such times, responds the wizard gently but that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given us. There are either forces at work in this world besides the will of evil. Bilbo was meant to find a ring, in which case you also were meant to have it. And that is an encouraging thought. So this epic battle, the Lord of the Rings, reminds us that we may not have signed up for all the difficult dark rings that we have in our lives, but God is able. And we are at a time during this time of evil for such a time as this. It is part of God's plan. If we suffer, it shouldn't be for suffering for wrong things like being a murderer or a thief or any kind of criminal or even as a meddler. We are tapping into God's plan. Peter gives us four things that we may deal with in suffering, things that Christians should not be doing. He mentions, number one, a murderer, right? Many came to Christ with a very bad background. One of the reasons I'm so excited about working with inmates is that many of them have come to Christ with a very bad background. I've met many murderers through my over 20 years as a chaplain. Murder was a common way in biblical times of settling differences. Murderers deserve to be punished. Christians should not suffer as a murderer because Christians 
should not commit murder. But also, he says we shouldn't suffer from being a thief, right? One who steals by fraud or uh, steals in secret. Thieves deserve to be punished. Christians should not suffer as a thief because Christians should not be stealing, uh, but some do. Thirdly, Peter says we should not be suffering as, as criminals. Uh, some translations say as evildoers involved in criminal activity. Christians should not suffer as criminals because we should live lives crime-free, but unfortunately some do. And then Peter says we should not suffer as meddlers. That's a busybody. Busy in the affairs of others. It means being an overseer of the things that are really the concern of someone else. Christians should not suffer as meddlers because Christians should not meddle, but some do. And I want you to know, we have been given a strong word of encouragement. Paul says to the Thessalonians, I hear some of you uh, that walk among you disorderly, and you're not working, but you're busy bodies, you're meddlers. Paul said to Timothy, he says, don't get in the habit of being idle, going from house to house, and don't become idlers. Don't become busybodies who talk nonsense, saying things they ought not to say. You see, there is no merit if you're suffering when you deserve to suffer. Don't miss this point. God's plan involved righteous suffering for the unrighteous. When we suffer, we must make certain that we are not suffering for the evil that we have done. You know, in Philippians 4.19, it reminds us, my God shall supply for all of my needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Now, do you get what Paul is saying there? God will supply. Not I will, but God will. Suffering that is out of our control is never out of God's care. You know, I can't meet all of your needs. I can't even meet all the needs of my family. I can't even meet all of my own personal needs, but God can. He says that he will meet all of your needs, not my griefs, but all of my needs. Everything you need, he supplies. And he supplies it according to his riches, not my resources, according to his riches in Christ Jesus, not outside of Christ. It is found in Christ. Well, I hope that you have gained some new insight about living under pressure. I want you to join me tomorrow as we continue on with this study. You know, as I think about suffering, suffering is something that is caused by sin. Sin makes suffering extreme, comfortless, and destructive. However, God has a purpose even in the midst of extreme suffering. In Hebrews chapter 11, it tells us that by faith, Moses, when he grew up, he refused to be called the son of Potiphar's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. I want you to know that if materialism has a grip on you, you will never consider the reproach of Christ greater than the riches and the treasures of Egypt. 
But if you understand that there's nothing more significant, nothing more important than having the, the great treasures of the riches of Christ, you will almost become immune to the suffering. And you will be like Moses, who refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. You refuse to identify with the world. You come out and be separate because you know you belong to Christ, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You see, I fear too many times we are too easily satisfied with just the material blessings of this world when we can have a much greater treasure found in Christ. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. I want to encourage you uh, that uh, if you don't have a place to worship on Sunday, why don't you come to Hickory Ridge Community Church? We have a 9 o'clock service. We have a 1045 service. And in both of those services, we have things for your children. We have Elevate. We have a youth group that happens on our second service on 1045. We would love to see you on Sunday. Also on Wednesday night, it's not too late to bring your kids to the Iwana program on Wednesday night at 6.15. We have youth group on Wednesday night, also at, uh, at 6.30. So come and be part of that. We do a Bible study on Wednesday night. Love to have you be part of that. Well, thank you so much for listening. If I can pray for you, shoot me a quick text, 252-267-2365. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ there is always hope for your heart.